Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. It's relatively easy to feel overwhelmed with the trials and complications we face daily. Thank you, Jesus, for your living word, full of infinite wisdom and knowledge. Join us as we go through a sermon series in the book of Proverbs called Skillful Living. Good morning, church. My name is Ryan Manzant. I serve with our student ministry. I'm excited to share with you today as we close out our series through the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting off in chapter 16. You can turn there with me. Well, I've lived in Houston most of my life. Uh, I was born in Beaumont, Texas, but we moved here when I was two uh, now, there are some who would insist that I say Katie, because I lived about 15 minutes west of here. Uh, and if you don't know, if you're new to the city, there's this elitist hierarchy when it comes to the loop and the beltway. And if you're one of those people, we're going to have our prayer team down at the front at the end. And I don't know, maybe today is the day that you turn from that uh, but we lived in a house out there for about 10 years, and I can still remember it so vividly. Like, especially my room, I can just picture the green wallpaper and the plaid bedspread and, like, where my boombox was and my baseball trophies. Uh, but one thing that's a little bit fuzzy, a little harder for me to picture, is what the floor of my closet looked like. And the truth is, because it wasn't often visible. Uh, you see, I had a lot of toys, a lot of games and action figures. And so pretty much at all times, there was just this two and a half foot layer of stuff. And that's the way I liked it. Now, my parents, they didn't love this arrangement. And so every once in a while, it'd get bad enough. They'd ask me to do something about it or there could be consequences. Or every once in a while, my mom would go in there and she might organize it herself, uh, and that would last for like 20 minutes or so until I got in there again. Uh, but I tell you that because over the past months, as we've been studying the book of Proverbs, this has sort of become a framework for how I understand this topic of wisdom. There's a few concepts here I want to unpack. The first is the idea of a domain, and a domain is simply an area of life that you are given to manage. Uh, that was like my room. I had dominion over this space. I could manage it as I saw fit. Now, my domain existed within a larger domain. That was my parents' house. And in giving me that authority, they had a design in mind. They had a vision for how that domain ought to be managed and then it was up to me to choose whether I would receive their wisdom, their direction, and manage according to their expectations or to do my own thing. And I think that makes sense as we look at the book of Proverbs and consider that it was written by Solomon, who was a king. He was given a domain over the people of God, the nation Israel. And we read how in 1 Kings, God meets with them and says, I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon asks for wisdom. And the reason, he says, is so that I can rule your people according to your vision, which is justice. And now he's writing this book, collecting his wisdom together and giving it to his sons who would rule after him so that they too can receive this wisdom and manage the domain according to God's design. 
And we can actually rewind earlier in scripture and see this same pattern. Think about the book of Exodus. We have this moment where Moses receives from God a design for the tabernacle, this traveling temple tent that would go with them as they move from place to place. And God has a design. He gives Moses. It's very specific with specific materials and dimensions. And then God says, I have placed a spirit of wisdom on these individuals in these different domains, whether that's craftsmanship or woodworking or metalworking or weaving in order that they can use this wisdom to bring about God's design. And I hope this framework will be helpful for us this morning as we dive into our final topic in the series, which is choices. And this is a really great place to land because so far we've covered a lot of different areas in the series from our relationships to our words, to our uh, careers or a number of other things. But in all of those areas, we're going to have to make decisions. We're going to have to make plans. We're going to have to choose. So today, the question that I hope to answer is what makes a choice wise? That's where we're going. So let's read, starting in Proverbs 16, verse 1. The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. When a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Would you open it up and make it clear to us now? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, something I'm jazzed about right now, maybe you've heard the news, Uh, Zoe's Kitchen is on the way out, and its locations are being replaced by Kava, which is basically if you took Zoe's and turned it into a Greek Chipotle. And I'm a big fan of this. I think you could take every restaurant and make it like Chipotle, and it would be a net win for society. So I go to a lot of these types of establishments where I go down the line and I point to what I want. And something I've noticed is that I've never gotten challenged. Like I've never gotten pushback. Like the server's never been like, are you sure you want to do that? Like you should let me, let me help you. No, Uh, I've also never asked for guidance. Like I've never stepped up to the counter and be like, hey, would you like, would you hold me accountable as we go through this process? (laughs) Would you just... We just make sure there's not any blind spots, any things that I'm missing. No, because I know me. I know what I like. I have a general idea of what the end result will be. And I trust myself to make wise choices in order to get there. But when it comes to like actual real choices, uh, our passage warns us that we don't always know what we think we know. Look at verse 2. 
says, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. This is something we've talked about a few times in our series now, this idea that we don't always know our own hearts or the motives that are driving us. We have blind spots. And then look down to verse 25. It says something similar. There is a way that seems right, but it ends in death. This idea that we can't always foresee the consequences that our actions are leading to. And so because of these risks, thankfully, Proverbs has a a built-in safeguard for us. And that brings us to our first point. Wise decisions require wise counsel. What's interesting about this is that you would think if anyone didn't need additional counsel, it would be Solomon, right? Like he's the wisest one in every room he's in. And yet consistently throughout Proverbs, he insists on it. Look at Proverbs 15. I'm gonna have this on the screen here. Proverbs 15, 22, he says, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, verse six, for you should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. Again, I think this is counterintuitive, but we can take from this that gaining wisdom does not equal more independence. Rather, it's the wise who better recognize their dependence on others. And so I want to challenge you again, if you haven't already, uh, to do something that uh, Tom mentioned in his message last month, which was to find a level four friend. That is someone who knows your soul, someone who knows your heart well enough to discern the motives you're not sharing, and someone who is loving and gentle enough to say, hey, here's what I think you're not seeing. Here's a consequence you might want to consider. We need wise counsel, but if we want to make the most of wise counsel, we also need to learn how to fully declassify our hearts. Uh, You've probably seen how every few years the government will release a number of old documents, Uh, but since some of the information is still sensitive, uh, there will be parts that are blacked out. Uh, I found this recently. I thought it was kind of humorous. Is you, get, you get no credit for this. Uh, I don't even know why you would release anything. Uh, but I was hanging out with a few guys from my community group recently. And we got to my buddy's house. And he shared with us, he's like, hey, guys, like, I just got into an argument with my wife. And so we asked him, well, what was it about? And he stopped and he thought about it for a moment. And he said, how do I word this in a way that you guys will agree with me? <laughs> and I love that. Now, he was kidding, uh, but I think that so often describes how we seek wise counsel. We can be experts at knowing the words to use, uh, the motives to black out, so that they arrive at the wisdom of what we've already decided we want to do. So we need to get really good at saying, here's the part I don't want to tell you. 
here's the thing, the motive that I want to hide, that I want to leave out. And you say, hey, here's what I wish you would say, uh, just so that's out on the table. That vulnerability is hard, but without it, we can have all the wisest mentors in the world, but we might as well seek counsel in a mirror. Wise decisions require wise counsel. Second point, wise plans require commitment. Well, there's an accusation out there often made about my generation, and it's that millennials struggle with commitment. Uh, Whether that's social plans or jobs, relationships, summer connect groups, not here, but (laughs) other, other churches, I hear that's an issue. I think there might be some truth to that, but when we look at our passage, we see an even bigger commitment problem that I think we all face. Look at verse three. It says, commit your ways to the Lord and your plans will be established. That word for commit literally means to roll something away. The picture is like a heavy stone that you roll away. And when it comes to our planning, Whatever our goal is, it means to place the burden of accomplishment into God's hands, trusting that God is in fact capable enough to accomplish those plans and to establish, as the passage says, our steps. Verse nine says something similar. A person heart plans their way, but the Lord determines or secures their steps. I can't think of a better example of this than a guy named George Mueller. Maybe you're familiar with him. But in 1835, as a 30-year-old, he began praying about a plan that God has laid on his heart, a plan to care for the orphans of England. Over the next 40 years of his life, he would go on to start five orphanages that would house and care for thousands of children. But what makes his life and his work incredible wasn't just what he accomplished, but rather how he went about accomplishing it. Listen to these words uh, from his journal that he wrote just a few months before this all began. He writes this, the home will only be established if God provides the means and suitable staff to run it. But I've been led more and more to think that the matter may be of him. Now, if so, he can influence his people in any part of the world. I don't look to Bristol, nor even to England, but the living God, whose is the gold and the silver. Under no circumstances will any individual ever be asked for money or materials. This is the commitment he made early on, that at no point would him or anyone that he works with ever ask someone for anything. And he goes on to explain a little bit of the reasoning behind this. What's motivating this decision? He says, we want to care for the orphans, but he writes, the first and primary object of the work is that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it might be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. Well, in the book, George Mueller, Delighted in God by Roger Steer, which is on my top 10 list of books I wish every Christian would read, uh, you just read story after story after story of God providing at exactly the right moment, 
of checks that arrive with the exact amount they need, of food that's delivered at the right moment where they're sitting down at their breakfast table and they have nothing over and over. It's incredible. All because George Mueller decided to commit his plan to God's power. I think for us, the tendency is that rather than rolling away, rather than entrusting our plans to God, we naturally want to roll up. We want to take a defensive posture, clinging to our goals, trying to accomplish them by our power. And what I've been wondering this week, for those of us with commitment issues, whether our struggle to commit our plans actually stems from this struggle to commit our plans to the Lord. And if we could learn to entrust those plans to God, we can actually discover a security and a peace to endure challenges and actually stick with things that God lays on our hearts. So where do we start with this? Well, generally when I teach there are two applications I try to avoid. Not because they're not good or not true, but because they could probably be the application to every sermon. And that is, I try not to say, read your Bibles more and pray more. Uh, But with committing our plans, it's really hard to get around this prayer part because there is no alternative when it comes to learning how to do this. When you see George Mueller's life, you recognize that prayer played this pivotal role in everything he did. But rather than telling you to pray more, I wanna challenge you this week to pray more specifically. Maybe right now you have some plan in mind, some goal that you wanna start pursuing or that you've already started pursuing. I wanna challenge you to think about the steps along the way and the specific prayers that you're gonna be bringing to God. You can have two lists going, but I want you to spend more time on your to pray list than on your to-do list. And as you're planning out the steps, you think, what is it I'm going to need from God each and every point? And then ask him to provide those things. This isn't name it and claim it theology. I think we've run so far away from that that our prayers just become vague requests for undefined assistance. And then when we are successful, it's hard to pinpoint any particular role that God played. So we end up robbing him of some of the glory that he's owed. And we rob the world of witnessing like they do in the life of George Mueller, the incredible power that faith and prayer still have when they're directed at the living God. Wise plans require commitment. Lastly, turn over with me to Proverbs chapter three. This is a passage you may be familiar with. Starting in verse five, this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. 
uh, your version, maybe the one you memorized, may say, acknowledge. In all your ways, acknowledge him, which isn't a bad translation. I just worry that it might diminish what's being communicated here. Uh, When I think about acknowledging something, I think about how guys have this unwritten code. Maybe you know it, where two dudes see each other and they give each other the head nod. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. I spent all week trying to articulate the difference and I can't do it. You just kind of know in the moment. Uh, That's what it looks like to acknowledge someone. Or I I think about in books, you have a chapter at the end, sometimes titled Acknowledgements. And I read books on my Kindle. And so when I hit the Acknowledgements chapter, it just assumes rightly that I'm done with the book and it asks me to review it. (laughs) And I, I worry that we would take acknowledging God to mean, God, I've done the research. I've made the decision. I'm just going to leave this on your desk for you to sign off on when you get around to it. Or that we may think we're submitting our ways to God, but it's more like how we submit an expense report. It's after the fact. We just want God's stamp of approval. But this passage says that our paths are made straight when we focus all of our ways on the goal of knowing him. That's what that word means. It is to grow an experiential, relational knowing of God. In other words, our last point, wise paths prioritize intimacy. Wise paths prioritize intimacy. Whenever we prioritize something, by definition, we are sacrificing something else. And in the, this case, what we are sacrificing when we prioritize intimacy is efficiency. And you know this already if you're married, uh, that quick decisions are rarely intimate ones. The challenge is that some of the biggest decisions we face, they come with this sense of urgency. You know this if you have been looking for a house anytime in the last year or so. It's like a new listing pops up and it can get 30 offers in the first 24 hours. It can feel urgent. You have to act now. On top of that, no matter what stage of life you're in, I bet there are some in here that can relate to this feeling. As you look at the path your life has taken, you might think, man, I thought I would be further along by now. I thought I would have reached this milestone, figured this thing out, reached this goal, accomplished this dream. At one point, I was ahead, but now I'm just where I'm expected to be. Or even maybe falling behind. Again, it creates this sense of urgency. I got to catch up. Thankfully, I don't believe we're the first people to feel this way. In fact, I think we can see a lot of figures from scripture that faced these kind of circumstances. One of those is David. Remember, he was anointed as the king at a young age, but it would be some 20 to 30 years later before he would take the throne. 
and where Solomon's life could be characterized by wisdom, I think his father David's life could be equally characterized by a factor. And that quality is patience, humble dependence, waiting on God. We see this theme come out over and over and over in the Psalms that he wrote. Let's look at a few of them. Psalm 25, it'll be on the screen. He says, starting in verse four, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. And then Psalm 62, verse one, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I love Andrew Murray's words about this passage. He says, our first and highest duty is to wait on God to do the work that pleases him. Waiting is the only way truly to know God as the God of our salvation. So the question is, in a world of same-day delivery, how do we get better at waiting? There's a book out there that's gotten a lot of press in Christian circles. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, If you've been too busy to read it, I found this online. (laughs) It's the four-minute summary, which just tickles me that this exists. But one of the things he talks about in the book is allowing yourself to be inefficient. And I want to challenge us this week to take a similar step, which is repurposing moments of efficiency into moments of intimacy. Maybe a first step is with a time like your commute, or if you're out running errands, And there can just be this sense, you strap in, you're like, I gotta get where I'm going immediately. And everyone's driving too slow on I-10 and I gotta weave my way around them. But what if you said, got into your car. It's like, God, there's nothing sacred about sitting in my Kia right now. But would you direct my focus onto you? Would you make this a meaningful time spent in your presence. Then perhaps the next time you face that sense of urgency with some big decision that feels like it needs an immediate response, I want to challenge you to even sacrifice just a brief moment. And rather than saying, God, I need an answer, say, God, I need you near. Because it's one thing to ask for clarity It's another thing to realize that in God's illuminating presence, that's when things become clear. Wise paths prioritize intimacy. To close out this morning, I think as we begin to walk in this, as we seek wise counsel and declassify our motives, We commit our plans to God through prayer and seek his presence rather than immediate approval. What we're gonna find is that our wise choices don't always seem wise. In fact, sometimes they might not even make sense. We can look at examples from scripture, from history, even from here at Bayou, 
And we can be tempted to ask the question, is it really wise? Is it really wise to pour this expensive perfume on some random guy's head? I mean, that could be sold, money given to the poor. Is it really wise to leave my family and my livelihood to follow some rabbi from some backwater town? Is it really wise to start an orphanage without asking anyone for support? Is it really wise to leave the heights in my community and the cool vibes and move to Sharpstown to live among immigrants and refugees? Is it really wise to leave my job and to pack up my four young kids and move to Southern Asia in order to be a mobilizer? Is it really wise? But going back to where we started this morning, we can only make sense of these decisions when we realize that all authority has been given to Jesus. And so all of our domains are just temporary things. We realize that there is an ultimate design that God is working all things to, reconciling everything through his son, Jesus. And that Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. If we can see this, not only do these choices and choices like them seem wise, I think we'll realize that it would be foolish not to. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for this time of worship, just the amazing gifts that you've blessed our church with. God, we thank you that you've chosen us, that Lord, you have seen every single one of our days before one of them came to be. God, you've seen our choices and our plans our decisions. God, I just pray that the path that we're on, individually, the path we're on as a church, Lord, would it lead us closer to the center of your heart? God, I pray that we could look back on our lives and be like, man, that didn't always make sense, but it was wise because we see the vision of what you're doing. We see your design. God, we love you. I wanna invite our prayer team to come forward. They're gonna be on my right and left. And if you need prayer for anything at all, we wanna invite you to come and receive that now. Uh, but specifically, summer is a weird time. It, it can be a slow time. And maybe in the slowness, uh, God's been stirring in your heart. Maybe he's been drawing your attention, perhaps even the first time for a need that you have for him. Uh, we're not a church that's typically done like a, 
altar call, but we would love to know what God is doing in your life, especially if he's drawing you perhaps for the first time to place your faith in Jesus. Because we want to be a part of that. We want to pray over you and with you and encourage you and celebrate with you. And so we're going to have our prayer team again. If you need prayer for anything, feel free to come forward. God, we give you this time. It's the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.